All right, as promised at the top of the program, we're going to go now to one of our, our favorite radio hosts out there. That would be Matt Kaplan, who brings on a weekly basis to you at KDVS Planetary Radio, along with a lot of other radio stations across the country. And it's always fun talking to Matt, and it's my great pleasure to say welcome back to Radio Parallax, Matt Kaplan. Thank you, Doug. It's a, it's a pleasure, and uh, thank you for that nice introduction. <laughs> well, we, we just we love your show. I can't say enough good things about it. When we do Radio Parallax, we, we try and pick up topics that we think that, uh, that we'd like to hear someone covering, you know, and, and if, I figure if no one else is doing it, we could do it. But thank God you've got our back when it comes to these planetary issues. We don't have to, to delve into that so much because on a weekly basis, you're doing it. Well, we do our best. We certainly don't cover everything that is to cover. So uh, I, I'm, I, hope, uh, I hope you're doing some of this as well, Doug. And I know that uh, uh, in, across the entire spectrum of topics that you take on, we're a, we're a tiny little line on that uh, spectrographic image. <laughs> Maybe so, but I got to tell you, living during the era which I've lived and seeing us going from, you know, talking about uh, maybe canals on Mars and, and, and maybe there being dinosaurs on Venus under the hot clouds to having now ab- absolutely accurate maps of all these different moons and the planets. It's just, it's a wonderful time to be alive if you have any interest in this sort of thing. And anyone that doesn't, I feel sorry for them. You know, I feel the same way. I try to, uh, when people tell me, ah, I don't care about that stuff. Why are we spending money up there? I try to keep my cool and uh, <laughs> give them the usual explanations for why this is such a great investment uh, in, in I think, uh, what is best about humanity, uh, but much more than that, in much, much more practical terms. Uh, it pays off many, many times over, and uh, I, yeah, I just think it's incredibly exciting. I always have, and we certainly do live in exciting times. I just, I just got a great review uh, today. I've been putting together our show for this week, which is looking forward at uh, 2015, talking to various uh, experts from the Planetary Society staff, and I can tell you, it's, it's, this is going to be a great year for um, showing you just what can happen uh, around our solar system. Well, without f- further ado, Matt, let's do some forward promoting for some of the exciting things I know you're going to be covering. Uh, we, there, uh, there's been much controversy about uh, what constitutes a planet. I mean, the Planetary Society, <laughs> you think that by now we'd have that dialed in, but there's a great debate still raging, and there's people that demoted Pluto, and uh, I know that's, that's still a source of great uh, controversy as to whether it is or is not. A, it, can be, it can be considered a planet. But this year, we're going to get our look at these dwarf planets. The Dawn mission is going to go by... Um, Series having visited Vesta, meaning it's the first time we're going to look at one of these so-called dwarf planets. And then come summer, the New Horizons mission is going to give us a close-up look at Pluto. That's exciting stuff. You bet. My wonderful colleague Emily Lakdawalla uh, says on this week's show, this is the year of the dwarf planet. (laughs) (laughs) So she's right in step with you, Doug. Uh, And she says that, of course, because we've got coming up in April, uh, we're going to reach Ceres, which is, she says, the only dwarf planet in the asteroid belt, because it's round mm-hmm. and big, mm-hmm. and probably has interesting things going on on the inside. Uh, and then in July, the one that we've been waiting for, for by that time it'll be nine and a half years, uh, we get our flyby of Pluto, finally, from New Horizons, the, the most famous of the dwarf planets, the one that if you call it a, anything other than a planet, uh, Alan Stern, the head of that mission, will uh, give you a dirty look, or, or maybe worse. Yes, I heard Alan Stern and some others uh, uh, actually on NPR today. I think it was it wasn't Alan Stern, but it was someone else saying like, "Look, it's a planet. It's got planet in the name. It's a dwarf <laughs> planet. It's a planet. Let's cut this out." 
Yeah, I, I and Emily would agree. She says any of these things she just thinks of as planets. She doesn't like drawing the distinction. Uh, she says, let's get past that and look at them for what makes them so interesting, because they sure are interesting. Well, Matt, I'm on, I am on the edge of my seat waiting to see what these places are going to look like, and, and I'm sure you are, too. And so uh, when, when we get closer, hopefully we'll have you come back. Maybe Emily come on, somebody, uh, uh, Bruce Betts, Bill Nye, someone come on to really augment the, the coverage on this. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. You just named off some of my favorite folks, and, and I bet you could get uh, almost any one of them. I can't speak for Bill, because... He's a slightly busy guy nowadays. Well, we all are, but, but uh, he commands a higher, uh, a higher fee, shall we say. I, uh, the rest of us don't get any fee at all. As long as it's planetary society business, Bill is often willing to do these things. So, you know, Doug, if you wanted to get him, we could certainly try and uh, see if he'd be available for Well, he, he came on once before, so, I mean, yeah, hopefully he'll do it again for us. Yeah, that's true. I'd, I'd forgotten. But those other folks, I don't think you'd have any problem at all. And uh, I think they would all agree that this is going to be uh, one, you know, heck of a year. That 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 first um, uh, milestone that we're going to hit when uh, the Dawn spacecraft goes into orbit around Ceres. Well, first of all, that's history making in itself. Yeah. The first time any spacecraft has visited one world, stayed there a while, hung out for a while, orbited and then left to go someplace else in orbit that other world. I mean, that is just, that is just groundbreaking. That's unheard of. And, and, t- and speaking about you know, groundbreaking and unheard of, uh, Emily was reporting on your show a couple of weeks back about, I guess, going to some geophysical union uh, meeting in San Francisco or someplace. But it apparently right. seems to be the real deal. There really is methane leaking out on the Martian surface. There's, now no, there's been controversy over it now. They verified that it's there. And what that means, I mean, some people are saying, well, it means there's, there could be organisms producing uh, methane on the planet. No matter what's causing it, it's, it's damned exciting. I'll say, in fact, for a lot of people, that may have been the most exciting uh, revelation of uh, last year, of 2014, and it came right at the end. I'm, I'm a little embarrassed that I haven't already planned to get someone like John Grotzinger, the, uh, the Curiosity Project scientist, back on the show, to talk about that finding. Uh, because, of course, now he'll be a careful scientist, and he will say that there are two possible explanations for this. Uh, one of them, biological, which is, of course, you know, the one that you and I have our fingers crossed about. Uh, but there are some geological, you know, natural phenomena that may be causing this methane to burp up out of uh, the uh, lower layers of Mars which have nothing to do with biological activity, but, you know, we, we just need to learn more. We're on that ladder, climbing up toward this uh, great goal, this world-changing goal, as my boss Bill Nye would say, uh, of discovering life elsewhere in the solar system or across the galaxy or the universe. And, uh, you know, there are these tantalizing hints that maybe we don't have to look farther than Mars. Well, Matt, there's, there's some people who think that some of the hydrocarbons here on Earth may be extraterrestrial, that's not all you know, crushed <laughs> dinosaurs and things from the Devonian era, and that you know, may, maybe when we go to Mars, we're going to find there are hydrocarbons there. I mean, that's, that's also very interesting. Doug, can I, can I share with you? I don't think I've told you this before, uh, and it is not original. This comes from a, a dear friend of mine who passed away a few years ago, a college friend, one of the funniest people I ever met, a guy named John Donan who came up with his uh, theory, uh, right in step with what you're talking about, hydrocarbons on, on Earth. Uh, and uh, it was in a book he was going to write called Hot Rods of the Gods. <laughs> and it said, the, hot, the premise of Hot Rods of the Gods was that ancient alien teenagers 
<laughs> used Earth as a drag strip, and that we evolved from their hydrocarbon emissions. Well, that's a very interesting theory. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought so. <laughs> but you know, but you know, I mean, people uh, people do sometimes uh, t- take a skeptical eye at this wonderful planetary ex- exploration we're doing, and I f- I feel sorry for them. But I-, I try to point out that. We're, we're right now trying to establish what's going on here on our home planet. We're, we're worried about temperature changes, and we have controls here on our own, own solar system of Venus and Mars. One is way too hot and has way too much atmosphere, and the other one is a little bit too cold for our purposes, and, and their atmosphere seems to have disappeared. And there's a lot we're going to learn about Earth, I think, by studying Venus and Mars absolutely true and it's going on right now and it's been going on for years bill nye likes to point out that the mechanism for basically global climate change the global greenhouse effect was first seen on venus before uh, we realized that the same thing is happening here and that of course was a contribution made by carl sagan who most people have heard of uh, that one of the trio of founders of the planetary society you know we're gonna we are learning more right now from maven uh, the orbiter at Mars that is sampling the upper atmosphere and figuring out where that atmosphere might have gone. Uh, and, you know, these are things that we should be concerned about. If we like our place, so you know, you say Mars too cold, Venus too hot, we're just right. We want to stay that way. And there are things that we humans can do, uh, but we're going to have to learn a lot more if we want to learn how to do that correctly. And And these missions to other planets particularly those planets, are, are certainly helping us do that. Well, Matt, science always takes us in kind of an unexpected direction, or not doesn't always do so, but so often something comes out of the blue. And I want to just give uh, some retrospective congratulatory uh, kudos here to Carl Sagan, the, one of the, as you mentioned, the three co-founders of the Planetary Society, because I remember back in the 1970s when they first got to one of these Mars missions and there was a dust storm taking place, and they did some calculations, Carl and others, I guess, saying that, well, this has really changed the temperature in the atmosphere in a way that we really hadn't anticipated. And that caused some people to look at the math of what would happen if we'd had, say, a nuclear exchange on Earth to conclude that, like, oh, my goodness, this would have a, this would have a catastrophic effect in itself. Now, we don't want to get into nuclear arms policy today, but it's, it's interesting that like something like looking at Mars does reflect right back here on what we're doing on Earth. Yeah, who'd have thunk? I mean, you're absolutely right. That's another terrific example where... Uh, the, the better understanding of what could happen in a so-called nuclear winter uh, did largely come from these uh, the study of Mars. And let's talk about exoplanets. I know that Planetary Radio is uh, looking at the fact that it's not just our own solar system. We're getting pretty close to finding some uh, super-Earths or maybe even some, you know, just plain old Earths around other stars. It's uh, some very exciting science there, too. Absolutely. The Planetary Society is is funding one of those projects that is, you know, trying to develop instruments that will allow our very powerful telescopes, uh, and soon to be much more powerful, to uh, find the first of those truly Earth-like planets. You know, we've gotten it down to two, two and a half times Earth-sized, and generally very close to the star that they're revolving around. Uh, so probably a little bit too hot for comfort, life as we know it, as, uh, as we like to say. But we're getting better. We know that this stuff is out there. We know that planets are now the rule. We know that there are over a thousand of them confirmed now, most of them discovered by the Kepler spacecraft, which is once again at work discovering more exoplanet candidates. We're going to reach that point 
And, and I've talked to scientists who are doing this. I talked to Sarah Seeger at MIT just a few weeks ago, uh, where she is looking forward to that day when she will be able to not just find an Earth-like planet, but see one with water vapor and uh, oxygen in its atmosphere. And if we find oxygen in the atmosphere then there's a very good chance that we found life elsewhere. Uh, a couple of, few months back, uh, I talked to a young guy, uh, still a grad student, who uh, was uh, looking into the possibility that if we could develop the sensitivity where we could find oxygen in the atmosphere, we could actually find some of those hydrocarbons, some of those uh, nasty emissions, the smog, <laughs> right. that an intelligent civilization <laughs> right. would be. Uh, outputting, and wouldn't that be an interesting way to find uh, aliens from their uh, pollution? Well, maybe somebody out there in deep space is looking at us right now, noticing, boy, there's something going on around Los Angeles. <laughs> there seems to be some yeah, pretty they, dirty they quarantined air. Quarantined us, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, um, I, I do want to take it some time. It, people can, of course, hear you on terrestrial radio, but they can their websites and they can listen to it that way. And uh, where can people go to do that? Well, of course, uh, anybody listening to this, we hope will catch us right there on KDVS, uh, that terrific station that you are part of that uh, serves that that area up there that I love, uh, and have visited many times. As a matter of fact, not lately, but uh, man, I used to go up your way and up to Chico all the time. All right. Anyway, uh, that being said, there are a million other ways to find us. Uh, almost, <laughs> almost literally, uh, the podcast is extremely popular. We're on something like 120 stations across the country now, across North America. Sirius XM still, as far as I know. Uh, but uh, boy, we we are most happy when we hear from people who are hearing us via their local public radio station and mm-hmm. uh, and hoping that uh, not only that they are listening, but that they are supporting. As we close, I want to do a couple other items here. I want to plug uh, the fact that, well, preparatory to, to talking to you, Matt, I went back and looked at some of the old shows, and I was sucked right into one you did last summer about uh, a grad student looking at at these lakes we now know are on Titan, and they discovered an island that had come and gone. And I thought, I, I missed that yeah. story, and it was like, boy, that's an interesting item. Although, I know you were disappointed to note that your, your theory that perhaps that this island might have represented cryogenic whales, a whale pod coming and going, he, he didn't quite buy that one. No, and neither did uh, Linda Spilker, uh, the uh, project scientist for that mission, <laughs> when I talked to her about it recently. But uh, they, I did get a laugh from them about it. Um, it. We're scratching the surface. There is so much more out there that is going to shock us and thrill us if we simply have the dedication and the courage and the smarts to uh, go out and go out and look. I mean, that is such a good example. This island that comes and goes on this this amazing moon of Titan, and you know there is a great deal of speculation about life that would not be life as we know it, but the possibility of cryogenic life yeah. there in the liquid methane and liquid ethane. There are actually people building models for how you could have life in that kind of totally or almost totally foreign environment. I mean, there is some pretty amazing stuff going on. Well, I know we're always stuck on radio by having just voices and sounds, but people can go to your website and actually look at the pictures of this island, and it's it's pretty convincing. Something was there, it came and it went, and and boy, picture just is worth a thousand words. You bet, and and they're still trying to figure out what that thing is. And and our website, of course, is planetary dot org. That you can find the radio show there, Planetary Radio. But uh, uh, so much of the other stuff going on, and you know, Emily's regular blog entries and. Uh, stuff from my other colleagues, including Bill Nye, and uh, I, it's, I'm just very proud to be part of it. 
Well, we've had you on, Matt. We've had Bruce Betts, Bill Nye, Neil deGrasse Tyson honored us with his presence at one point. We've never had Emily on, but I see she's got a book coming out in 2015, The Curiosity on Mars. So I can see we have to add her to our list for sure when that book comes out. You definitely should, and I wouldn't even wait for the book. Uh, I mean, she's just a terrific guest. She's just she's an incredible enthusiast. I mean, this is why we call her, in addition to being our senior editor, our planetary evangelist. <laughs> and uh, hoping that that's not offensive to some people, but uh, she is a true believer, and uh, nobody nobody talks about this stuff any better than she does. Well, Matt, the last thing I want to note is you got, I'm sure, some pretty good relations with the good people over at NASA, and and I gather also with the European Space Agency because. Uh, as this year evolves, we're going to have something, hopefully some interesting science from that uh, that Rosetta mission, which is uh, currently parked around the comet G67. Have you seen the image that they put out uh, of the canyons uh, taken by the Philae lander? I mean, it is one of the most, I think, one of the most spectacular solar system images of all time. Uh, Emily has talked about this. Uh, uh, unfortunately, the, the good folks at the European Space Agency, the scientists are not quite as open to releasing their photos quickly as NASA scientists have become. They're catching up, but they're not there yet. And so we, we're expecting, she is expecting a, many, many more wonderful photos from Rosetta and from Philae. And who knows, Philae may be waking up as, as it picks up more sun, as it gets uh, closer to the center of our solar system. And so we may still have more of that um, in store. I mean, these images uh, are, are, are very inspiring, which is why we spend so much time dealing with images uh, at thatplanetary.org. Well, I'm embarrassed to say I heard you describing these, these striking images, but I have not yet looked them up. I can see I have some homework to do. Oh, yeah, check it out. Uh, they haven't gotten out there in this country as well as they should have, but you're right. Uh, ESA is doing tremendous work, as is NASA, and uh, we are happy to talk to all of them. We have friends at the Indian Space Agency, ISRO, uh, and, uh, you know, they pulled off something pretty incredible. They have an orbiter at Mars, MOM, the Mars Orbiter Mission, which uh, is a, a pretty exclusive club. Yeah. That, uh, that India has joined uh, since only only we and the Soviets and Europe have uh, put orbiters around Mars. I'm not even sure if the Soviets did it, now that I think of it. I should huh. know this. But certainly us and uh, the, uh, NASA, that is, in Europe. And so that, that's quite an accomplishment for an up-and-coming uh, nation like India. And India did it on the cheap, too, which is very cool. And I know we could probably have a whole uh, discussion of, like, uh, uh, private space exploration and things like that, but we'll have to wait that wait for another day, I think. But, Matt, th thanks so much for speaking with us, and I really am looking forward to uh, hooking up again here as this year evolves and all these, uh, all these exciting missions start sending back these photos we're waiting for. Doug, it has been long enough that I almost forgot what fun it is to talk to you <laughs> and to your listeners, to uh, Parallax, and uh, I've had a wonderful reminder. Uh, call any time, and uh, I hope we can set up something for you with uh, Emily and maybe some of my other colleagues at the Planetary Society. Thanks again. Matt, I always appreciate your help, and, and by God, we'll be talking. Take care. All right, and continuing on with our ongoing series of, of talks with our fellow PA hosts here at KDVS would be a rather unique event today in that we, as, as I am before the microphone here, we are talking with a PA host who's actually not yet had his own show. But I like to say, welcome to Radio Parallax, Graham Smith. Hi there, nice to be here. Now, Graham, you're, as we talk, you are... Uh, 
preparing for your taking the reins and getting before the microphone Thursday morning, this Thursday morning when we air this, it will have taken place. Uh, I guess the first question is, are you a bit nervous about this? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you could say that. I took a public speaking course uh, last uh, semester at community college, and uh, yeah, I kind of kind of panicked a lot doing that. That was only about fifteen people, so this should be a bit more interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I got to ask you about that. I never I never took a class like that. So they they teach you how to organize your thoughts and and go before an audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was mostly just practical experience. Uh, my uh, the professor had the brilliant idea of just putting people up there and telling them to talk, which worked out uh, worked out pretty well. It certainly made me feel a lot better about myself, given that the uh, topics a lot of my fellow students chose were uh, talking about their basketball shoe collections wow. for for fifteen minutes. Mm. So after that, I was like, wow, well, you know. Graham, if, if I may put my own wish list, wish forward here, I would hope that when you do your own show, you don't just talk off the top of your head, <laughs> because I have heard some, some, let's just say radio shows over the years that did that, and it doesn't, it's, it's hard to do. Take it from me, it's hard to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, that's, uh, that's the, the big reason I'm not, I decided not to do mine live. I'm absolutely not convinced I can sit in front of a microphone and be interesting for 30 minutes. <laughs> One thing I do have to ask you is that uh, uh, you're still debating what you're going to call the show. Yes, I am. I, uh, I originally started out with uh, Prospect Radio in homage to Daniel Kahneman's Nobel Prize winning prospect theory. But as was pointed out to me, that reference may go over the head of most As it's gone over people. my head right now, what was the prospect <laughs> theory? Thank you for asking, Doug. Prospect <laughs> theory <laughs> the, the, basically summed up as the idea that, that you feel the pain of a loss twice as much as the pleasure of a gain ah. in most situations. There's a, a whole lot more to it, but that was the So people gist. are thus more ri- risk-averse to a bad outcome, and so they, they don't try to do something, but even though they might get a handsome reward. Mm-hmm, more or less. Well, I know from, from talking to you about, about your interest in, in public affairs, and God bless you for taking, taking a whack at it, <laughs> that uh, one thing that you were intrigued at was uh, maybe talking about things that people think they know, but maybe are, are not so, which I think is a fascinating angle, Graham. Yeah. I, I read all the Freakonomics books, and I listened to their, their blog every week, and I thought, you know what? I could do this. Not, uh, not, you know, that well, obviously. I could do a much worse version of what they are doing. <laughs> well, if we do get Nate Silver on the program in 2015, I think I know who needs to be my wingman. <laughs> I, I, could, I could die a happy man. <laughs> Definitely. Well, let's work on that. Let's see if we can get Nate Silver on to talk about it. He does some interesting statistical stuff and uh, made a name for himself, I guess, by predicting almost every single state and electoral college, mm-hmm. which frankly we did on Radio Parallax as well, but that just means I think that we need to talk to him, but have a meeting in the minds. If you do it, I'll be there. All right, well, that that's a deal. We, I think we'll get Silver on, although as he's proven in his book, it is hard to make predictions, especially about the future. <laughs> but at any rate, I think if you're going to be looking at uh, what people think they know, uh, you're going to have a field day with, I think, educating the public as to what's really going on. It's something we've been doing for 12 years, I guess, on some level, and I, uh, I applaud your effort in that direction. Thanks. I really like to think so. I haven't actually written my first show yet, so <laughs> it may may not turn out as educational uh, as I hope. But well, uh, let's, let's, let's see if we can maybe both put our heads together and come up with the kind of example of thing that, that might might work for that. Well, I was thinking about uh, exploring the relationship between how highly rated a college is and how, how much you're paid once you graduate. Ooh. Uh, I thought that'd be really interesting. Um, also, given that I, I grew up in Silicon Valley, I'd like to uh, explore the, the idea that youth is a, a big benefit. And if you're starting a new company, you know, to startups that are 
startups that are started by young people, do they do better than startups that are started by older people? Like how Ooh, much? Oh, I does... hope you do that one because it seems like in Silicon Valley and in Hollywood, I guess if once you're once you're thirty, you just don't have it anymore. You have to be a twenty something. Yeah, yeah, that's the notion that a lot of people have, and that just kind of strikes me as odd, given that that flies in the face of every, virtually every other sort of human endeavor. That's right. Where experience and the older you get, Trump, Graham, the more enthusiasm. sure you will be of that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's probably true. <laughs> Take it from me. Given given that it's uh, January and a lot of people are going to be hitting the gym to support their uh, New Year's resolutions, I think it might be interesting to talk about common fitness misconceptions, uh, how much time you really need to spend in the Ooh. gym, yeah, what you should do be doing one. when you're there. Because, I mean, you know, I can just tell you from having a background in medicine and, and trying to work out a lot that I listen to these trainers talking about stuff and I'm thinking, oh, God, that's not true. Or... or, or we don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of folklore, that's for sure. Not to say that people like Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't build really big muscles by using a lot of empirical data, but still, I just... I, I think the technical term is uh, bro science. Uh, things things that your gym bro tells you uh, <laughs> that's worked because they totally worked for his bro. <laughs> I had not heard that, but it's, I understand. Yeah. And I know, Graham, uh, in, in speaking to you about this, one thing you're also interested in, perhaps, is, is looking at... You know, what's on other UC radio stations? There's a lot of public affairs uh, programming out there, and I thought, boy, someone, it'd be, it'd be nice if someone, some young man, motivated fellow, came along and reached out and talked to other uh, uh, PA producers at different stations, and I, I'd hope that you might be that guy somewhere along the way. Oh, I, I hope so, too. There's a lot of really great stuff at uh, the other UC radio stations, at um, KUCI in Irvine and uh, Riverside and um, UC Santa Cruz all have mm-hmm. a lot of really good public affairs programming. And it seems like, uh, you know, a waste that um, us and uh, a lot of other UCs, which have very little or no public affairs whatsoever, have uh, a lot of their time taken up by syndicated shows when, you know, there's all this great content being produced by UC students that, you know, might be able to go there instead. And this reminds me, we probably should bring Todd Urich back on the show or someone else. I know Todd spent a lot of time talking to the good people at UC Merced. They have on a website talk about getting a radio station going, but they have not yet done so. And boy, those people could really profit from, I think, reaching out and picking some great programming, such as heard here on KDVS and other stations and using some of that. That'd be cool. You know, we did take a little field trip down a few years ago to talk to some people that were all gung-ho about the, the radio station, and I, unfortunately nothing has come to fruition, but uh, I think time to give that one another look. Yeah, it's, more, it's, a, it's a beautiful campus. I was kind of bummed I didn't get in there, actually. <laughs> really? Yeah. So you had to settle for Davis? I did. I had to settle for Davis. <laughs> I'll be darned. <laughs> well, all I can say to that, Graham, is that I, I lived, I think, eight years in Davis back in the day, and I lived uh, three and a half years in Merced, and... Uh, you're in the right place, my friend. Well, I'm glad I looked out then. <laughs> yes. Well, Graham, in closing, I want to note that I guess the name of the show is still up in the air, but hopefully we'll have it figured out by the time we, we put this program out uh, following you on Thursday. I hope I figured it out by Thursday. <laughs> okay. Well, Graham, come again. Thanks. Thanks.